0: All right, welcome to another episode of New Wine Uncorked. And we're stoked to be coming uh, to you live today. For those of you that are joining us live, uh, Memorial Day weekend. And uh, we're excited to be able to do this live on YouTube. And so if you're watching it uh, as a recording, then you're on our our YouTube page and able to see exactly what we're doing every day. Um, Hold on. And so we uh, are able to then today be... uh, jump into what we've been continuing. You know, we've been talking about uh, uh, going back to normal, uh, return to normalcy. And so, New Wine Uncorked has been uh, dialoguing about this. And so, again, like I was saying, if you're watching the recording, uh, you can join us live uh, on YouTube. And today, if you're watching live on YouTube, hey, thanks for coming in and joining us uh, for this dialogue. Right there to the right of us, uh, you'll see the ability to chat. Uh, and put up your questions right below us. You'll see the subscribe. So subscribe. And then anytime new wine puts up new um, episodes of new wine uncorked, new wine tastings. And once we start going live again on Facebook, uh, the recording episodes of new wine uh, table talks, you can find that there. If you're like us, uh, each one of the three of us has uh, participation currently or uh, in the past of leadership in the church. And so today's episode, because we're uh, with Memorial Day and it's about remembering, it's about the memory of the past. And so today's topic, I'm remembering yesterday, living out the hope of tomorrow today or rewriting yesterday So the church, uh, guys, we've been talking about this last week, talked about pushing back to going, uh, getting back to normal. Uh, In culture today, there's been this uh, look back at uh, history. Uh, Last year um, was one of the first years in my recollection where Juneteenth was really highlighted. And I'm hoping that uh, the same happens um, this month. But there's also this push with, uh, as we get back to normal, the ability to rewrite what was normal. You know, And so you have cultures nowadays, and we have this talk of cancel culture, where they will cancel one thing, but then in canceling it, then are they rewriting what they wanted yesterday to be about um, in terms of what they want the history to be remembered as? So when the church pushes back into normal, what are some of the things that the church has to be mindful of? Because the church can fall right prey into not telling what the past was truthfully. And allowing for then those who have the powerful megaphone today to rewrite the history so when we push back into normal we have to be mindful that, but how is it that yesterday can actually help us to establish to go beyond normal in today's culture.
1: I think history gives us um, a couple of things It gives us an opportunity and a challenge. Um, to put it pretty simply. So what I mean by opportunity, it gives us opportunity to pull from the best of our history to see if we can live into that tradition and not necessarily just repeating the acts and the things of the past, But what were behind those things? What were the traditions? What were the things leading into those things? And how does that propel us forward? But it also poses us with a challenge. When we have the negatives of our history, it's not enough to simply erase those kind of things or retell the story, leaving out those kind of things. But at the same time, it gives us an opportunity to look back at the history and then with new eyes, fresh eyes, and actually see a holistic view. And in the same time, we can change from the history. We can build upon the history and make changes when we need to, um, and, or live into the, to the goodness that has been in our history. Um, but at those moments when we do have the negatives, it's not enough to simply erase them, but we're going to have to make changes in light of those things that are challenges. So that's my first thought. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Matt, with what you just said about rewriting history in regards to cancel culture and the like, I don't know if I've uh, seen, um, and and maybe I've I've drunk the Kool-Aid too far on on one side of uh, whether it be the political aisle or whatnot, but I I haven't seen um, much of um, cancel culture being a part of rewriting history as cancel culture being symptomatic of how history has already been rewritten, if that makes sense. So it's not that cancel culture is uh, producing the rewriting of history. Cancel culture is the product of history having been rewritten. And in some ways it can be, a, uh, too far of a reaction to one end, um, or a much needed correction. And so if we look at, uh, cancel culture, um, having its initial starts with a correction of the, um, abuses of power, uh, that minorities and, um, uh, women endure at the hands of, uh, majority um, ethnicities or majority races and uh, men, Um, starting from there with the Me Too movement, I I think I I I want to be careful with not using cancel culture as a pejorative. Um, I I I want cancel culture, when I use cancel culture, I I mean in a very neutral term, if not leaning more towards the positive and the affirmative. I think cancel culture has been helpful, um, if not um, restorative, because it's given voice to those who have been harmed and marginalized. And so what I hear uh, most often is people who are afraid of cancel culture are the people who have benefited from not being held accountable. Um, and so when, um, a very good example of that is, you uh, um and I please, I, I don't mean to say this pejoratively of elderly white people, but when old white people say, um, uh, to me specifically, like Tony, you don't know what racism is because I was alive when racism was rampant. I was alive when when the KKK were kidnapping black people and lynching them. I was alive during that time, and we don't see that happen anymore. Um, and so this whole BLM thing uh, is actually racist itself. BLM and anything that's anti-racist is actually racist itself. And, and so for me, that feels like a rewriting of history. Cause then I have a couple of leading questions that leading questions would be, so if you saw racism back then, were you a bystander? Were you an observer? Did you actively work against those things? Um, I remember previously, um, I, I was, uh, at a previous, um, uh, church, uh, somebody would say to me, Tony BLM is racist because you don't understand. I know what racism is. And if MLK were alive today, um, I would have marched with him, but go Trump. Like, it's so like when we talk about rewriting history, I don't see people who participate in quote unquote cancel cultures, rewriting history, if anything, to the extremes, people who participate in cancel culture are overreacting to the correction, I would say, but that, so yeah, in, in your opening statement about rewriting history, that's what I'm seeing. The rewriting of history is like when people, uh react against the 1619 project. And they'll say, oh, this, uh, that, that op-ed is rewriting history. It's like, it's not rewriting history. In some ways it might be a, an overcorrection of our history, but it's unearthing uh, the way that our history has been whitewashed. Like today, celebrating the Tulsa massacre, like it, it there, there are things that are not just dormant in our history but have been completely erased in our history and so we're accused of rewriting our history when we bring those very um erased things to the surface
0: yeah and and i think um with the cancel culture uh I, I agree with you. I don't think that it should be used pejorative, but do, don't you think that both sides use it pejoratively, right? Both sides of the political spectrum. And so when I uh, talk about it, remembering yesterday, my concern is, is that uh, both political parties are able to cancel the truth of the gospel because they commandeer the gospel, you know? And so then they say, hey, this is what it looks like to be a Christian, you know, they meaning the politicians, whether it's Nancy Pelosi or whether it's Trump, you know, uh, whether it's uh, I've never seen really Mitch McConnell talk about his faith and things like this. But uh, uh, if the Republicans, you know, with the Franklin Graham and with the, uh, the Driscoll's and the like and the Metaxas. There's this idea, though, of them canceling the truth of the gospel just as much as the politicians from the Democratic side. And so I agree with you, Tony. I don't want there to be um, uh, the, the idea of cancel culture to be pejorative, because I do believe that there is a correction. The question I have, though, is. Do we really know history enough for anyone to be correcting anything? And so what I wonder, though, is instead of cancel culture, could we get more to a culture of dialogue to where we can then reveal more aspects of of the, the history, because I feel like what happens with the idea behind cancel culture today, though, even in what you're saying, and I totally appreciate with what you're saying with the uh, elderly, you know, older folks, even from whatever background they come from, but predominantly white, I could see where telling, you know, hey, this was, it, we don't live in a racist area. The question is, is, but does cancel culture, though, forget sometimes that like, I wonder if I were um, uh, uh, anything other than, you know, because the, the this country is progressive, but is it that progressive? Like we've elected a black president, which that does not mean anything about like the eradication of race. However, when a Mormon ran for presidency, there was uh, push down, you know, like uh, a female running for presidency. So that's where I'm just like, we, I agree with you, Tony. We can't allow cancel culture, though, and that's that the idea to be uh, uh, commandeered by any one group, you know, that who is the cancelers and what they get to do. And so that's where I'm wondering is, though, even when we look at the past and we start to critique it and stuff, is there an aspect, though, of rewriting it in uh, um, favor of one group that we have to be mindful of? Because I don't want the church to be doing this, right? Where it then rewrites its history and says, oh, actually, the giving out... This weekend, we talked about tithing, tithing. And they want to throw numbers, specific numbers. Oh, 10% for sure. There's 10%. So you must be giving. well, is that a rewriting of the Bible, you know, and then canceling out its truth. And so that's what I'm talking about too, is like, I want us to understand politically, you know, this cancel culture and what it's doing as we're looking back in the past, but also be mindful of, do we do aspects of that when we cancel out the victimization of, or the oppression of a people group do we then though, in the rewriting or or revealing of that rewrite it to where it's more towards bending i don't know you know maybe towards me as opposed to towards the we-ness that's what i uh when i bring up cancel culture and question that because i agree with you we can't see it as pejorative automatically right but
1: well definitely our start when we when we end up with history is always listening that's where you're going to have to start this whole situation and not, and not as someone is telling their story in relationship to how history played out or, or anything of the sort or how what we're living into today compares or relates to the past. Not immediately saying, oh man, you're trying to rewrite stuff. No, I'm just telling it from my perspective because definitely history and the history books definitely tell the tale of history told from a particular perspective and that be- has become the norm. And so now as we go back to, as we go to the notion of trying to bring things back to what is normal, yeah, we have to redefine what normal is because it's been told from one perspective and we thought we were good. Well, some folks thought we were good from where we were before. And we're like, no, it's never been good. You're like, well, you're rewriting history. No, that's what reality has been. You just didn't see it. And that's a huge part of just understanding history. We didn't listen to every voice coming into this. We did. We have, historically, we haven't listened to every voice. We write down the voices of the winners or the loudest voice. And right now there's just voices that have consistently been silent that are now being louder. And we're like, whoa, that's a threat to what we know already. No, that's just reality from a different perspective, whose history has just as much weight as the voices you've heard. So listen to those stories and let's retell the tale now, including those stories and see where things go. What do we honor? What do we don't, what do we not honor? You know, and just, and go forward in that regard. But bringing more people to the table to be people that write the story is not someone that's promoting council culture. It's not anything along, it's not even silencing anyone. It's uplifting more voices. So let's start there and start with listening and then see where it takes us.
2: Yeah, I think from where I sit, I'm not too concerned about cancel culture in some ways. I don't even know if cancel culture is like a real thing Um, because uh, I I think for so long, people have not been held accountable. And um, more often than not, the complexity of it is I've seen more Black men falsely accused of sexual assault or sexual harassment. Um, And that is not cancel culture, but that was an extension of our legal system. And so the people who actually are afraid of cancel culture are people in privilege who are afraid of being falsely accused and then losing their stature. Um, For me, like, yeah, I'll, I'll have friends who will say, aren't you afraid of being falsely accused of like, sexual misconduct especially as a pastor and not really i mean i mean like I'm, I'm i'm fairly confident in the way i conduct myself and carry myself i'm fairly confident in in uh the boundaries i've set like it just doesn't cross my mind that somebody uh would feel like and, and like i i'm um putting myself in a sexually compromising position and I feel like I I have a solid community around me of of my contemporaries and my supervisors who know me and, and who understand my workplace, so that's just not my concern and so with cancel culture, quote unquote, I wonder if it isn't people, because I guess the long-drawn explanation of that is the people who I've seen be most uh, vocal against quote-unquote cancel culture or opposing the supposed cancel culture, uh, I've seen the communities that they've run in and I've seen the way they conduct themselves and the way they talk. Um, and more often than not, like their language is fairly degrading around women, or at least their community contains some subculture that's degrading to women. And so I'm like, no, if cancel culture comes for you, you're getting bodied. Like, I'm not worried because that's not my community or like the quote-unquote political party that's so worried about, you know, child predators in uh, the opposing political party, when in reality, in their current political party, some of the most outspoken voices are being investigated for um, statutory rape. Like for me, when I look at any community that opposes quote-unquote cancel culture, like I just, I see in that particular community why you would be afraid because of the people you associate yourself with and the like. in regards to rewriting history and like people feeling canceled for not believing something in a very general level and not on um, the side of like sexual assault or harassment. Uh, I've seen more um, men and more white people be afraid of being canceled for either not believing women or not believing people of color than I've seen women being afraid of being canceled and people of color being afraid of being canceled i've yet to see a person of color go i hope i don't get canceled when reality our whole existences are somewhat living in a negative state a canceled state because we're told how our bodies are, are supposed to fit in a particular space um and and i think back to like what i said earlier about like uh racism and the way white people experience racism continually I hear as we do like intergenerational work like when all elderly white people say um, well I know what racism was like and today I can tell you for sure we do not live in a racist country Uh, I think that in and of itself is indicative of racism is still centered upon a white normative epistemology that only when a white person deems something as racist can it be considered racist but what we do know now from studies of our legal systems to the to the study of the policing of communities white people do not experience the same policing that black communities and minority communities experience therefore quote unquote, they will never experience racism the way that black communities and minorities communities experience racism. So, uh, of course it's hard for a white person to believe that there's still racism. And so that of course they feel quote unquote canceled because we're still talking about racism today and how white people are impervious or unaware to racism. And in some ways it could be damaging to pride because you feel like you know everything or like you're a knowledgeable person. And then when you're told, no, racism is still rampant, it's integral to our legal system. Of course, you're like, no, I'm a patriot and we would never endorse racism. But y'all sure hated MLK when he was alive. So how are you telling me you would have marched with him if he was alive today? I am so confused. Like, (laughs) this is
1: the worst
2: Memorial Day weekend ever. Nobody's remembering anything.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they're remembering, they're trying to remember COVID. That's the problem, right? They're trying to say no. Oh, that that's in the past, and so I think we're going to give more memory to COVID nineteen than we will to Juneteenth, to, to you know, to Tulsa, to MLK, and that's the issue. I wonder though, with the faith thing, again, was Jesus? And I agree. Like I, to me, the the talk of cancel culture seems, um, uh, yeah. If you have an issue with it, my question always is, what's your issue with it? I do have an issue, though, with this idea, though, of cancel, just the terminology of cancel, because it's taken that in and of itself is pejorative in the sense of relationality. Okay, because I vehemently disagree with the things that Metaxas writes, Eric, but I, I shouldn't want him canceled his message, possibly. Right. Like or. but if I want his message canceled, is that an aggression that I'm having towards him, you know? And so when I hear what you're talking about, I still wonder though, the, the, the aspect of faith, where does it come into play with this? Because some of the folks that have used the terminology or the understanding of going at someone else's um, rewrite or a take on history, it feels very aggressive. And so like getting back to normal, like, I don't want back normal, right? I want to go beyond. I want to get to a point where we start to see each other uh, based on our character. I don't know if that's possible, though, if the, the the basis of the way I act today is always bound up in what you've done to me. And it's in, dude, both of you can throw a, a you know, a fist at my way and say, bro, you just don't understand because I don't because someone could say, oh, it's easy for you to say, dude. That we need to um, seek not to cancel the person and not be aggressive towards them. We want transformation and compassion because they haven't, you haven't been wrong like this. And I absolutely will throw my hat right in that ring and say you're right. I could be accused of not understanding, but is it wrong for me to still ask the questions of, well, do we? Does the church, the Christian leaders, do is there something that we have to be mindful of not to get caught up in the wave of just canceling people and saying you made a mistake, you're a piece like there's no re- like, so where does redemption factor into that? Do we try to cancel them? Or do we try to at least, con- can, you know, caress and and console them to say, and knowing that because there are some just a-holes that are just so staunch that to love them is going to take getting beat up. And maybe that's not a role for you two, That's a role for me to step in with my, the, the, the folks that look like me. Right. And that's where but is, is someone like me going to get there if we can't even ask the questions, you know, so that's what I'm talking about when a cancel culture and stuff, is it even appropriate to ask questions about criticizing cancel culture or what's being, you know, that's with the church and faith. How does that all come together?
1: Yeah, a couple of thoughts, a couple of thoughts here come to mind. Um, I'll be straight up, man, just um, existing in some of the spaces where I exist, Um. I have to accept, or I have to, I have to um, listen to voices that don't look like me. I have to, you know, I I am in some regard influenced um, some way by people who don't look like me, who share stories that I would definitely be against, and um, still have to be in spaces and live and and work and operate in those spaces. And so, um, that has consistently been been a challenge. And now it it almost seems like as voices that look like me become louder and become more of a force that voices that don't look like me are like, hey, what are you guys doing? Stop. I'm like, no, this this is this is what it looks like to share the table. I mean, we're not even there yet, but this is what it looks like when other voices and your voices gets toned down a little bit and you feel like your voice is being t- turned off when all it is is now sharing space and just the threat that those things are being. There's another thing that came to mind too. There were it was years and years and years ago. Um, I think Matt, I think you're the one doing this. We were doing something with New Wine, on Multnomah's campus, and you were playing, um, some Martin Luther King speech in one of the student commons areas on a Saturday. I want to say it was like a Saturday you were doing this, and um, in the student commons area, there's the computer lab, and I didn't, I don't think I owned a computer at that time, so I was using the computer lab to type most of my papers. I was in there bright and early, and so were you, playing the playing whatever MLK speech you were playing. And um, I don't, we didn't really know each other then. And so,, um, in the computer lab, another whole white family comes into the computer lab and they're like, "Oh, that guy's in there playing that MLK speech. Man, you know, I, I would I would march with him now, and I would listen to him now, and he sounds right now. But back then he was such a threat. and I just I just I couldn't listen to anything he had to say back then. And, I, and I'm sitting there scratching my head thinking, okay, I really wish you wouldn't say this kind of stuff out loud, especially around black people. But <laughs> that's what, that was the story, that's what happened. And so I just continued to stay focused on typing my paper and hopefully they weren't trying to have a conversation with me because nothing was sounding good at the time. <laughs> Hold on, before you go on, I don't think the person who said that was a student, so I'm just gonna throw that out there. Just <laughs> maybe the family of a student, but there it is. <laughs> Yeah with with canceling,
2: I, maybe it's because I, I'm a bit younger than you guys. It, and, and I understand canceling is such a like complicated sociological like tool or term because I think of it in um, you the person is not being canceled, like their existence isn't being canceled, but their right to the global public square is being taken away. Their, their privilege or their right to be online and have influence is being taken away. Cause I think it comes from the, I, I could totally be wrong. There's probably somebody writing a PhD dissertation on this, but I, I think it comes from the idea of um, Instagram or Twitter when someone is verified and they get a blue a check mark. And the idea that because they have that blue check mark, they're verified, they're untouchable because they are influencer. They're different than us peons who don't have blue check marks and we're just scrolling away mindlessly, but they have the right to tweet or to post and have the masses see. So they are, um, uh, buffered and insulated because of their influence and affluence against accountability. But when they get canceled, when that blue check mark gets unchecked, they're unverified or they're canceled. So their right to the global public square is taken away because before the public square was physical, but now with the internet, with social media, our, our world is really global. The, the, the public square is global. And so... Um, I think that's, that's much, it, it gets into the nuances of the way the influence works, because you can be canceled locally, but globally, you might still have a presence. Um, we have a uh, a local pastor who bombed out, he was a local professor, he bombed out a ministry because he had an affair, a, come to find out it wasn't an affair at all he was sexually abusing one of his students and he just moved states and now people are are inviting him on a um a preaching circuit again he's teaching at a local bible college he's preaching at pastor's conferences and this was like a year and a half two ago and it's like yo like he he harmed somebody if cancel culture is such a bad thing why is this guy not canceled and so i i think Cancel, I I don't want to talk about it ontologically. I I, I don't know if cancel is a theological term, but I've seen churches cancel more people who are actually victims rather than canceling predators, wolves in sheep's clothing. I've seen churches uh, kick people out, cancel them because of a different belief or a quote unquote value style. When we look at the LGBTQ people, uh, we, we've seen more LGBTQ people canceled by the church than we've seen quote unquote heterosexual people canceled by the church. Um, some of the heroes of the faith, though deserving of being canceled are great heroes. Um, be, like, and, and so it's just, it's such a complex thing when we talk about it contextually and temporally. Um, I will say, I've heard of late people talk about Jesus being a cancel victim and and I see some merit to that. I'm I'm not like going to die in that Hill. Like, I mean, with Gen Zers, like that, uh, that image drives it home to them because they're like, oh yeah, you're right. Jesus was canceled. He was canceled by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was canceled by the government. Like Gen Zers understand when you're like, oh Jesus was killed by a cop. They're like, oh yeah, the Roman soldiers did kill Jesus. Like law enforcement did kill Jesus. And so like, I I understand the imagery of that. I think. The only cancel that I'm like really like up in arms about is like when Carl Bart told Emil Bruner, like nine, like no <laughs> to natural theology. Like that's the cancel I'm about. But other than that, like, I just, what do I know? I I'm just, I'm not worried about cancel culture, but that, that was a lot. That was, that was like an MTV, like <laughs>
1: theology breakdown. Like, welcome to my crib guys. Look shit. Look, look uh, that that Tony that that okay that was odd uh, to say the least. Um, yeah, when I think <laughs> of cancel culture, I am um, my brain immediately goes. There's two figures that my brain goes to right now, and Bill Cosby and Tavis Smiley. Those are the two people that that goes to my mind. I know Bill Cosby's in prison and we shouldn't mention his name anymore. So that's the effects of cancel culture. But Tavis Smiley, another one, who really, when I looked at all the stuff that was out there on him, it just seemed like he was a a, a real jerk. <laughs> With that regard, um, I haven't heard him do anything in media since he was "quote unquote" canceled. Um, but that being said, um, in talking about ministry figures, and Tony, you mentioned one story in particular of a local of a former local pastor, um, and that could have fit several in the same area. It's um it's a pretty common thing that if someone is talented in the pulpit or talented as a musician, um in the church that. You could be accused, actually do atrocities within a church, move cross town, and no one's checked your references and pick up right where you left off. So um that's been an interesting thing in the church and and kind of that desperation for people in the pulpit or someone with, with charisma in some form or fashion that yeah, you you won't pay attention to anything they've done before that. We just know that this person is a skilled preacher, skilled musician, get transferred into another part of town, another side of the world, and they pick up where they left off. And there's no, so I guess one thing, and we could stretch the council metaphor here as well, right? Um, unity within the church, the ability for us to check our references is uh, something we've canceled <laughs> with our modern day Christianity. So, yeah. No, because Phil,
2: that's so good guys. I think what we see right now is um, cancel culture is a tool within the hands of the mob or the masses, but it's because we did not value the experience or the life of the person. Therefore they could only find justice within the mob and the mass. Therefore cancel culture would not need to exist whatever cancel culture is, if we respected and valued the person, but because we don't, they can only find critical mass uh, uh, or a movement towards justice within the mob because their singular voice does not matter. And it cannot penetrate the buffer, the affluence of the person in leadership. So...
1: I think it took that momentum for, I mean, well, a couple of years ago when the the Me Too was, was rising up, it took that kind of momentum in order to do the things that it did. And it didn't wipe out everything. Some folks still just transferred across town and did the same thing. Some folks were exposed and... Okay, they're quiet now and still trying to, but it took so much momentum to do, to make that movement. And now we're looking at that same thing saying, okay, this is another form of rioting that's destroying something else. So we need to make it stop when, no, let's value the individual, let's value their story and see, okay, wait, even though this is a misunderstanding of how this person has been read historically, now we have to change the narrative because we have new information. So now let's change the narrative. And now what do we do with this person? Do we honor them or are they held accountable for their actions? So,
0: Yeah, yeah and I guess that's what my, my concerns a lot of times with cancel culture or this idea of cancel is that it's who's deciding the canceling. I guess that's my contention with it. It's not uh, the canceling in and of itself, because I believe that uh, the, the evilness and you know, darkness and those kind of things should be canceled. Do I believe that Bill Cosby as a person should be canceled? No. In fact, someone like him needs more uh, compassion and care from people who understand the human, obviously, right? This guy, but what about like, and this is again, and and it's so easy to go to extremes as far as like someone who is uh, um, unjustly accused and then canceled. Right. Uh, And then it becomes very tricky when you start to say, well, what about the canceling of a person where two adults are doing an act that is adult ish, you know, and then it gets a whole, like, so the whole, that one dude who had an issue of like biting women, he was like, he wanted to, the guy who played in Lone Ranger. Right. You know, and it's a weird fetish thing. Let's say that that's their thing, you know, and someone hears about it and goes, oh, and then they they say he's a freak. Well, okay, but that's like their thing. And so is it just because someone that gets on Twitter and takes to Twitter or they take on uh, uh, social media and they get a following to where they're able to cancel someone? That's the thing that I want, like, the church to be mindful of because you're Right if we aren't mindful of that though then what continues to get perpetuated is exactly what happens is these dudes who get they're uh, up in washington and get kicked out of their church because they're a jerk off and they just abuse their power and then what do they do take three to six months off and then he moves down to arizona or texas or whatever and again same thing right is then brought up in the pastor because why because they're preaching or whatever the case might be is they're a good orator or they have this message and so instead of that being able to be canceled because they had power, they, uh, they were abusing their power to be able to cancel out then the voices that should be able to speak up against it. And so that's where I'm saying is like the discernment of cancel culture in and of itself, canceling out something or someone or, 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 uh, an oppressive idea or person is necessary. That's what Jesus came to do, but it's also then what I don't want to get is exactly what you're saying. And and this is not what you're saying to do or anything, but there's this generation of folks that is so easily to commandeer the Bible story and say, those were police officers that were killing Jesus, you know, so we should be mindful of every act that a police officer does is evil. See, they, they, because then we make it a one-to-one, right? The Roman soldiers equal uh, a police officer, white police officer, you know, Jesus represents George Floyd, you know, that the case in point is that oppression is oppression, uh, torture, beating, that kind of thing. We need to understand that. That's historically part of our being a human. But when we don't discern c- canceling anything, then we allow for the canceling of everything. It goes back to the idea that you know Dr. Keene was talking about. When we just allow injustice here, here, and here, and we think it doesn't matter, it becomes infectious. You know, and so that's all I'm saying is like, I agree with you. So much of the stuff that has been critiqued and canceled out, canceled, it was important. How does the church, though, lead cancel culture? Because I believe if the church is leading it, it's meant to be done with grace and mercy, right? I don't believe that Jesus was canceled. If anyone wants to say that Jesus was canceled, you'd have to say it was by the Father. You couldn't say society canceled them, right? It was the Father who sent them in there to become sin to become the, abs- the 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 one thing that god has to cancel right so in that sense so but there's i want to understand if there's a way though to take cancel culture of the church like it should all of these things racism discrimination uh uh, uh, uh judging and to say they're redeemable we should judge one another but in a redemptive way because if you're doing something that's uh, um, taking away freedom, and, and, and I don't say anything, maybe you're doing it unbeknownst to yourself, you know, a lot of older white people that I talked to, they just weren't aware, okay, that doesn't give an excuses to to not do anything, you know, saying that they would have marched with Martin Luther King, let's hope that they would if he was here today, right, um, but how does the church though be redemptive in the canceling of things that need to be canceled out,
1: Yes, yeah. so before you go, Tony, Um, <clears throat> one, uh, I was just listening to a, a podcast earlier today um, with a couple of Christian hip-hop artists that's been around for a while, and, they, and the podcast, it was, they recorded it months ago, but the podcast was talking about the relationship to um, Calvinism and Christian hip-hop. It was, uh, 10, 15 years ago, it was a really big, really big thing, and part of situation, and it's going to be talking directly about what you were just saying, uh, Matt, with, um with cancel culture and the church is um, one of the things they were talking about was the fact that as there was a group of Christian rappers who were embracing Calvinism, but they weren't talking about any social justice issues that were impacting the church. So for them, Christians that were talking about social justice weren't doing true Christianity. They may not say it in that strong of terms, but that there was a divide in that sense where you had a group of Christians that were talking about social justice and these are social gospel Christians that we aren't to listen to, but here's the group of Christians we already be listening to over here. So I'm saying all this to say that there's a way that we've learned and studied theology that has turned away from those who have consistently been working in the field of social justice. And now we've come to a moment where we're trying to bring that together as if it's a new thing. But no, this has always been a thing. The church has, as of late, has had this disagreement, has had this disconnection within our body where we haven't talked about these issues. And so now from some regard, we're trying to bring them to the fray, but we've tried to cancel a group of the church this whole time by not talking about the issues that's impacting them. So, so that's kind of where I, part of where I see at least. Yeah. Yeah. With, with
2: cancel culture and the church, I, I I mean, so I just, I don't know if we should be afraid of canceling or being canceled. um, Because I, in some ways I see, canceling as a necessary corrective Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, with like with people who say they would march with MLK if he was alive today BLM is here Bernice King supports BLM (laughs) Like, and so why do we need, why do we need to say if MLK was around, I'd support when his daughter, his direct successor supports BLM. Now we can talk about the nuance and say, okay, BLM has some distinctions from the civil rights movement in the sense that the civil rights movement was birthed out of the black church. It wasn't birthed out of the white church. It was birthed out of the black church um, and BLM in some ways is not uh, tied to any um, church. It's not birthed out of any church. Um, and in some ways you can say that's because <clears throat> the the white church has been so outspoken on the side of racism that BLM wants to distance itself from any form of Christianity. Um, you could also say because, and and, <laughs> this is not my place to say, but this is the critique I've heard, is that for BLM, they have felt that the Black church has not addressed its patriarchy and misogyny. Therefore, oppression for anyone is oppression for everyone. Therefore, because the Black church has not addressed the way it mistreats women, BLM, because it wants to address uh, the value of all Black lives until the lives of black women matter, it's hard to associate with black churches. But then we we get into the the complexity of that where black women are the bedrock of the black community though. And and who are white BLM supporters, who are they to tell the black community how to live out their blackness? So there's the complexity of that. But I, I lay all of that groundwork to say there is a civil rights movement, maybe not the civil rights movement, but there's a movement in the current for civil rights today. Um, And more often than not, the people who I see concerned with cancel culture are not a part of moving civil rights forward. It's the same people who are concerned with critical race theory threatening the church. But long before critical race theory was even a thing, black people and POCs were talking about how racism was an issue within the church and within our country. And so critical race theory, cancel culture, that's all scapegoating, even though those are corrective tools latent within our contemporary moment for the church I think we should be more concerned with how we are canceling people rather than whether or not we will get canceled or whether or not uh, people who are canceled, what happens to them. Because the concern is that we are canceling people and we need to stop canceling people rather than what if we miscancel somebody. Um, I think if somebody gets canceled, and they are guilty of something, God be with them. God has gone before them. God has gone behind them. He is beside them and he is their foundation. He will sustain them, but they need to enjoy their canceling because they're being held accountable. Now for all the people who are miscanceled, that's another thing
0: we got to work on, but I'm really, um, uh, um, what what about, uh, what about the idea though of canceling? Like, so someone who looks like me says, Hey, Instead of focusing on racism, sexism, that, genderism, uh, uh, ageism, what if we focused on sin, and then I get canceled for saying that, you know, so that's where I'm saying is like, so that's, I'm not concerned about cancel yeah, culture, yeah. I just know that there are white Christians who want to really press into this but in saying something like that, well, I, I know there's racism here, but I wonder if I focus on racism, am I missing as a Christian, uh-huh. am I somewhat stopping too soon from the real uh, uh, issue? That's all, so like- Totally, so- totally. What then, my my thing is,
2: ri- Racism is sin. So by focusing on racism, you are focusing on sin. You're focusing on that particular sin. So rather than saying, I want to focus on the heart issue rather than the real issue, like, I I think that's a misnomer or a um, bifurcation. Like it's easier to talk about sin in the abstract than to talk about sin in the particular
0: and i so guess what i say with the the idea of racism and discrimination is the problem is is so often if i'm a racist i don't see that right and so if you start talking about the concept that the truth of what sin is it might speak into where i'm at and i go "Oh shoot oh i could see where then when they say racism why because they showed where my sinful tendencies or my sinful heart. So I agree with you. Racism, no. discrimination, all that stuff is sin. Sometimes I wonder though and this is again it's coming up with the language to speak into the lives of people who because my concern is I think the same as yours and Phil's is I know that the only way to wipe to to wipe out racism for one is not through me telling people that they're racist, you know, or you Phil or you Tony raising awareness that dude the white people have had racism and you know there's been oppression there has to be something deeper i also know though that the focus on the blm and that's in the the protest is necessary because right now the the you know it, my body has cancer in my lung i'm not going to you know, wrap up my ankle and put an ACE bandage on there and say, I have a hurt tendon down in my ankle. Right. So I agree with the very particular and things I don't want to miss though, even still though, the Christian understanding of, well, salvation happens with sin, sin then manifests itself through racism, discriminations, you know, cause I want the Christian me personally, how does my faith factor into this stuff? It yeah. wrecks me. Right. Yeah.
2: Uh, and I, I think For me, it's I feel like we've had a 400 year experiment of talking about sin, though, and racism is still rampant. Like when we look at evangelicalism, the quote unquote tradition or the theological distinctive that's very much focused on personal piety and conversion and sin. Participates and proliferates racism of any form of Christianity, and so uh, I don't know how useful talking about personal sin or personal holiness, how effective that is. Um, like I agree. we need, like as Christians, it is our,, um, our distinctive and our conviction to talk about sin. But I don't understand why talking about racism, Maybe it's because I don't see the bifurcation of like religious, unreligious. I think everything's religious. Yeah. I think yeah, yeah. Everything is on the good spectrum point. of sacredness, you know, yeah, good so point, it, good it, point. along the lines of like William T. Cavanaugh. And so for me, even atheists are religious. That's their religion. We believe in the absence of God. We believe in the non-existence of God. Um, And so everything is a religion, yeah. um, not to steal from James K. Smith. And so, yeah, I, 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 we sit in the same tension, Matt. Um, yeah. How do we faithfully as pastors and theologians and Christians talk about this theologically, but also have a public witness, a
1: practical witness? Um, yeah. And in addition to having this 400 year conversation, there has been multiple sides of this 400 year conversation. And so there have been theologians, there have been people, there have been people of color that have been talking about this. It's been black people that's been talking about this and weaving theology in the understanding of how we look at race. It's been a long, long history of it. Some of the history has been indo- ignored. So that needs to be brought back into the fray. But um, another thing I wanna throw to this cancel culture thing, church is very familiar with canceling people. We call them heretics. We've been doing this since the beginning of the church.
0: Yeah, (laughs) no. We consistently
1: just say, nope, you aren't to speak anymore. We don't hear you anymore. We're not talking to you anymore. Not considering any positives from that thought, but no, you're a heretic, you're written off. Don't talk anymore, goodbye.
0: Yeah. And, and this is the thing I think we need to combat. And with the sin thing, Tony, I totally agree with you. I don't want to be a person who focuses on sin. When I say sin, and I think this needs to be clarified, because Phil's right, the church has been known for its canceling people. It tells who's in and who's out, right? And that's not what, we don't need a sermon uh, about uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God, right? We all uh, understand the, the impact of sin. I think the thing missing is that the remedy. Jesus is the remedy. And so what's been canceled out is the willingness to live faithfully and obediently to Jesus Christ, because in today's culture, you will automatically be canceled. And so I agree with you, Tony. If there's anyone that's concerned about cancel culture, they should be the Christian and their concern should be, oh, I'm going to be canceled out of this culture, which is what the message tells me I should be doing, you know. And so this is the continued discussion. Join us next week uh, uh, for our continued discussion. We totally appreciate you joining us today. Uh, if you've been on with us at YouTube, uh, look for this. It'll be back up. You can share it with your friends. So what we'll do is we go live on YouTube on Friday mornings. Typically, it's 10 a.m. on Fridays. We are able to do a special uh, Memorial Day uh, taping this weekend, which is awesome. And so happy Memorial Day for all of you that are out there. And especially, the, you know, if you served, we are very grateful of that uh, service. And want to remember that. And, and the great greatest way for us to remember is to really press into Jesus so that we can understand what true freedom is. And that's what New Wine is all about. Trying to uncork the potential, the possibilities of what it means to be a human created in the image of God. And so this has been New Wine and Corked on behalf of my friends, Phil and Tony. We totally appreciate you joining us again fridays 10 a.m if you miss the live recording just look up on our youtube page right here because the recording will go up a couple of days after uh the live recording so till we see you on the other side thanks for joining us happy Memorial day have a good one all right all right sweet dudes um what's hey what's yeah what uh, what was the dude how, the last name the pat